He said, to the extent I desire to move through you, you must allow me to cut on you. The Leader's Cut. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Leader's Cut. We are sitting down with one of my heroes today. And I know some of you, this is going to be a new introduction. You've seen me, if you follow me on Instagram, you've seen me uh, put out some of his stuff because I'm, I, you know me, if you've been running with me for a while, I just don't do hype and I don't do the hyperbole. Uh, I'm just honest. And I'm telling you right now, whether you know this man already or not, this is most certainly one of the human beings in my life who can take most credit for the man that I am and the man that I have become and am trying to become. Uh, this legitimately is one of my heroes. And uh, other than Pastor Robert, there's most likely not another human on this planet in my world that I've studied more than this man. We spent a lot of time uh, at McDonald's in the morning, his favorite spot. I have crashed for years. I like to say that people learn crashing McDonald's where Tom goes all the time from me because I would just invite myself into his holy space with the Lord at McDonald's early, early in the morning. And while we've, we've shared many hours at McDonald's over the years, um, I've studied him a hundred times more than I've sat with him at McDonald's because this, in my opinion, is somebody the likes of which doesn't exist on the earth. And I've watched for many years and we'll talk about this and he'll share some of his backstory. Um, but at, as Gateway started to explode in Dallas, Pastor Tom was the man that God entrusted to help build the structure to be able to steward everything God desired. And I watched as a young man, number two guys fly in from all over the earth to come and sit with you for a lunch and then go back home. And that, those were moments where I thought, okay, I'm not the only one who realizes Tom is altogether different than everybody I've ever seen. These are some of the most successful men in their field and they're coming to sit with Tom for an hour and go home. Uh, so I wanna introduce you to my hero, Tom Lane, and we're going to talk about some stuff that's in your heart. Uh, but why don't you just kind of give us a little backstory. Tell us about you so they know who they're, they're learning from. Okay. But first of all, I got to say, every time you would talk about crashing my time at McDonald's, I said, no, you can't crash when you're invited. <laughs> <laughs> you're always invited well, into my space. I, I so. wore that invitation out. <laughs> well, uh, you know. I don't know how far back my, my life now extends over seven decades. So, uh, you know, grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, um, graduated from the University of Nebraska at Omaha with a degree in accounting. And I thought I got saved when I was 16 and thought what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a Christian businessman and I'm going to build a platform of influence into the community with our employees and uh, with people just impacting the community. Uh, uh, that's, I want to show other business people that God in the marketplace is alive and well. So I, I started out for that. My dad, when I was a senior in high school, he and some partners bought a, a wholesale paper distribution business that had warehouse locations from Montana to Texas. So I graduated 
uh, from college, went to work for my dad, took business transfers to get to Oklahoma City, and then to get to Amarillo, Texas. That was 1977. And I just thought I'd be there a couple of years on my way back to Omaha where the corporate offices were. And we, every place we went, we found a church, got involved in the church. We found a church, and nine months after moving to Amarillo, we were sent out from that church to plant a church called Trinity Fellowship. And we were just so honored to be on the ground floor of something that God, we th- thought God was doing significantly. <clears throat> the church grew rather rapidly, and four years into it, my dad and his partners sold the business. So I'm left going, well, what am I going to do now? And, um, you know, in those, those moments of our life when <clears throat> what we thought we understood, we didn't really understand, and, it, in, you know, you want to get upset, you want to get frustrated, you're disappointed, but I've learned that those are the times when God has orchestrated a divine intersection. And at that intersection is an opportunity to meet a specific need at a point in time that becomes confirmed by others, and God's call is ignited. That's what happened for me. Uh, the pastor one day called me up and said, uh, can I take you to lunch? And I said, yeah, and we went to lunch. And he starts describing the vision that he had, what he thought was going to be accomplished um, through the church. And I suppose at, at lunch, you know, I went from folded arm, kind of sitting back to leaning in, to, to fully leaning in. And when he had me fully leaning in, he, he said, Tom, I need help. And I said, well, pastor, I'm in. I'm, I'll help. You know, I've been helping. I'll, I'll help. He goes, no, I need help. And I said, what do you mean? He, I said, are you offering me a job? And he said, yes, I'm offering you a job, and I, I need help. And I had thought, as he was describing his vision, that's something I would give my life to. Hmm. Uh, up until then, I loved the church and the work that God did in changing people's hearts and lives. But um, every church that I had known were under-resourced. They were under-led. Uh, they were under-visionized compared to anything that I'd seen in right. business. And I just thought, I think I'd be better off earning money and helping fund the church than I would actually being in the church because it just didn't seem that grandiose or challenging. But his did. And so when he said, yes, I'm offering you a job, uh, that resulted in me saying, okay, I say yes. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll uh, I'll respond. Truthfully, I thought that would be a couple of years, and then I'd be back to business, uh, back on track to what God had for me. But that was uh, what would be forty-two years ago, and uh, it's been an unbelievable ride. Hey, here's what I can already tell, uh, and I, this is full disclosure because before we started filming. Um, Here's what I know about Pastor Tom. He cares very deeply about every person. And so he collected his thoughts and what, what he felt the Lord wanted to say for this time in this conversation. And um, as you were talking and, and just you, you went into grandpa mode, you're not old <laughs> enough to be my grandfather, but I, more than anyone maybe in my life right now, uh, there is a patriarchal anointing on you 
I saw it the other night at your event. Uh, there is a, an Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, an, an Abraham anointing. And I'm not calling you a grandfather. I'm saying the second you started talking about, you know, I, I believe those are the divine <laughs> intersections. And I, I mean, I started crying because it just, there are not many men like you. And so I, I just want you to really dial in uh, because honestly, it doesn't really matter what we end up talking about. I can already tell uh, the Lord is in this conversation and, and this man, uh, you, you probably don't have anyone like this in your life and you're getting access to one of God's special ones. And I know we're all special, uh, but he is altogether different. And so I, you really need to, don't just listen to what we're talking about. Go beyond the words to the heart because there's not another one like this. And so just with you, I don't know where we'll end up going with this because I, I just want you to go. Sure. I want you to be in full on Abraham mode. It, it's when you're at your best. And, and so if we talk exhaustively about what we talked about talking about, or if they're just, they're not rabbit trails when the Lord leads us down them, uh, I just know you're going to give away whatever God gives you to give. When I was thinking about this podcast, I don't even know if this is a word. It's something that I made up. <clears throat> uh, I was thinking, I think what I want to do is do a kaniching. <laughs> it's a conversation and a teaching. <laughs> and it becomes a kaniching. <laughs> <laughs> you just coined it. <laughs> so, yeah, trademark that thing. <laughs> so uh, A kaniching. A kaniching. You know, it's, uh, there's, there's elements of truth that I hope the Holy Spirit will impart. That's mm -hmm. the teaching mm -hmm. that comes out of the conversation of hearts. Right. And that's the discovery of, oh, this is where God wants to take us. Okay. Uh, so it's a Kenichi. I love it. So what we talked about discussing in our time together is about finishing well. And I want to frame that because I think it would be really easy, especially for you young ones to think, oh, well, you're really talking to people past the age of retirement. No, 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 we're not. Scripture is very clear. Only a fool begins building something without first stepping back to count the cost. Another way to say it. Only a fool thinks about building something without thinking from the end to the beginning, starting with the end in mind. So when we talk about finishing well, this is a conversation. I'm 45. This applies to me. I want to build towards finishing well in such a way where I'm not just honoring God. I'm praying for a Caleb anointing. Caleb was still climbing the height of the mountain at 80 years old. That's exactly right. And, and strong. Strong, strong. Yeah. I mean, he was still fighting. So... I, I want you to help us. What must be present in our lives? So I know you're going to bring it from a perspective of the season you're in, but you've built towards this. You've yeah. been working towards yeah. this your whole life. And that's part of why you are in the midst and you're not finishing. You got a ways to go. Yes, I but agree. But you are doing what you've always done. You are moving towards a well done finish. So yeah. what must be present? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting Probably 12 years ago, uh, I was invited by a large church to come and speak to a year-end staff retreat. And they told me when they invited me that I would be one of three speakers to their staff. There was a, a young guy that was just starting out, and they tasked him with, with, ask, with speaking on how, how do you start right? And then they had one of their own guys speak about here's, here's how you... You manage the middle of the race, you know, and do well. And they asked me to speak on 
finishing strong. Now, I was 50, 52 <laughs> years old. And I thought, I'd never even thought about it. No, I was, I was 60, 58 hmm. when they asked me this. And I'd never, I was still running my race. Right. I'd never thought about it. But I, I do think you know, the point that you just made, Preston, is really a good one. And that is, you can't plan on finishing your, your race strong if you don't manage it all during the race. If you think about marathoners that are running 26 miles, they, they plan their eating and their drinking and, and, uh, to keep their energy up so that when they get to the finish line, they, can, they got enough energy right. to run across the finish line. Well, if you don't do that, if you while away your younger years, thinking, I got plenty of time, I don't have to worry about this, and then you think, but I'm really going to kick it when I get, you know, the last hundred yards to the finish line. Right. It isn't going to happen. And so this is an important subject, no matter where you are. And I, I have to say, if I look at myself, you know, at 16 and then at, in my early 20s, I thought, I really thought I won't be alive when I'm my current age. <laughs> right. Jesus is going to come and, you know, everything's going to be ended up. So, uh, I get not really thinking. Sure. Th that thinking you don't have to think about it. Right. Right. But now, if I could speak to my younger self. Love it. I would say, oh, yes, you do. You need to be very intentional about how you're running the race of your life so that when you get to the end, you've got the energy and the strength to really kick it through to the finish line. And, uh, and the prize at the end is for each of us to hear the Lord say, well done, yep. good and faithful servant. That to me is the epitome of finishing well, a exactly. well done finish. Yep. So where does it start? Yeah, so I, I think there's several components to it. One is realizing that what God expects for all, from all of us is uh, uh, to live a life of faith. Hebrews 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, and and then, then it goes on to say, for we must believe that he is, not just that he exists, but that he exists in my moment, in the situation I'm in right now. He's, he's present. He's, he's in charge of whatever I'm dealing with. Man, you know, we all know life is filled with surprises and ups and downs and disappointments. And, you know, hopefully if we measure it over a season of life, we, we look back and we say, I've had more ups and I've had downs, but I've, I've had both. And uh, some of the downs were really down. Well, uh, whether you're up or whether you're down, you have to walk with a, a dependence and awareness that in my ups and in my downs, God is there mm. with me. It requires faith, a belief that he has a plan for me. He's working the plan, even if I don't understand it. So that's the place to begin. It's great. And, and uh, if you say, well, I started there, but then I hit sort of a season of disappointment, a season of frustration, uh, That's great. A, a downturn season. It, you have to tell yourself whether you're uh, on the upper end of the curve or you're on the lower end of the curve, God's in charge. God's present with me. You know, he knows what's going on. He has a plan for my life and, uh, and encourage yourself to keep going. Uh, use a little running analogy for probably 35 years of my life, I ran. And now that I've, I'm in more of my senior years, I'm, I'm walking to get my aerobic exercise. But 
when when I was running, part of the issue that I experienced in running, so I would run four to five days a week, five miles at a time. And uh, all during all the seasons, so there'd be seasons, springtime when it was blowing wind and it was kind of chilly. Uh, there'd be winter when it was sleeting, raining, snowing sometimes. And when I would set out to run, there would be some days when I just had this euphoric energy for running. And I thought, I could run all day. I could run, I could run 26 miles today. And the way I felt. There were some days that I, I in the first mile of running, I, I had all the endurance built up uh, that I, I needed. I could run five or six, 10 miles. But uh, in that first mile, my body said, no, we're not doing this today. No, we don't like this today. No, you, you just quit. Just start walking. Just everything was screaming at me to stop. And uh, I would push through. I would maybe adjust my pace a little bit, but I wouldn't stop running. And mile, mile and a half, two miles into it, the endorphins would kick in. And then it's like, oh, yeah. man, we're, we're, we're back on it. Yep. Well, I think our life is that way. Mm. That you may be in a season of life and it, it feels like you're running in a, you know, against the wind, everything's pushing against you. And it's like, God must be mad at me. He must hate me. He's not even anywhere to be found. And that's when faith has to kick in and say, no, God still loves me. And I know Jeremiah says he has good plans for me, plans for good, not for evil, plans to give me a hope and a future. You know, I have to keep telling myself that like I was telling myself in the run, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Just push it a little further. You can do this uh, in order to get to the endorphin. And there are spiritual endorphins as we run the, the race that God has for us. Yeah. I think when people on the younger end, the early days of our race, I think we possibly um, minimize what can be done today. Thinking, well, you know, I have more authority, more influence 10, 20 years from now. And so, you know, I'm not going to kill myself now. I'm not going to try and, you know, just outdo. And so we don't take that leg of the race as seriously. And I love, to your point, you're saying, Preston, if you wait until later in the, the race to sprint, you will have waited too long. And that is the definition of a race not well run. I have a pastor friend who just turned 50. And he... He decided that what he wanted to do on his 50th birthday was he, he wanted to run the New York Marathon. Never run a marathon before in his whole life. And he wanted to run the marathon. So, you know, you have to apply to get in. So he, he applied, he got in, and then he, he uh, found an app that actually trained him mm -hmm. to run the marathon. And so there'd be days when he'd run three miles. There'd be days when he'd run a mile and a half. There'd be days when he ran sprints. There'd be days, and it was never exactly the same, you know, right. workout. But he was building an endurance in his life. So great. So that he could finish the race strong. And he did finish it strong. But he didn't start out and just say, you know what, I, I just want to, I want to run the New York Marathon, right. and I think I'll go out and I'll build up an endurance, and I'll run five miles at a time, and then maybe I'll bunch it, bump it up to seven or eight. 
he he was very strategic in the way he managed even his eating, the way he ate uh, in preparation, so that when race day came, he finished it. Strong. It's great. There's a place for the one mile day. Exactly. It there. That's a building block for the nine mile day. They all have a place. And when I was younger, yes, I probably had more one mile days, but I was working my way up to your point. I was building an endurance up for the race set before me. That if I would have had the typical young person's mentality, which at times I did of, well, this race doesn't matter because it's just a quick hundred, hundred meter sprint. So I, who cares? Like I could walk this. I'm not going to take it as seriously as opposed to today's portion of the race is a building block to steward the next leg of the race yep. because every leg is important. It is. And the preparation for that leg is critical in the process. Um, when I spoke to this, this, uh, the staff of this church, I had, uh, I'd been thinking for a while, I've, I found an article that was supposed to have been an article based on a commencement exercise that Bill Gates gave uh, to a, a college graduation class. And uh, it was, I think the title of it was something like 11 things you didn't learn in school. And that just the title of it caught me. And I thought, what if I have 10, 11 things that I would, mm. uh, you know, I would put down. So I wrote down, sure enough, I came up with 11 did. things I've learned in, in life. And so I wrote those. And then, uh, you know, every couple of years, I'd add two or three more. So by the time I was asked to speak, I had 17 lessons that I learned. And, I, and so I was thinking, what am I going to say to them? I've never thought about finishing my race strong. And I thought, I know what, here are 17 lessons I've learned in life that if you'll do these, you'll finish your race strong. Well, uh, and I kept adding to them uh, to the point that I, I uh, identified 21 lessons. And then I wrote a book. I know. Tested yeah. and approved. Uh -huh. uh, 21 lessons for life and ministry. And uh, they're just, they're eight to 10 page chapters of things that I've learned that if you do these things, and so one of the, this leads to the second point I was going to say, finishing strong. Uh, if you're going to finish strong, you need to learn how to practice spiritual hygiene. Mm. Um, spiritual hygiene, the, the way I explain it in the book, is it's not unlike physical hygiene. I mean, which one of us uh, would get up, or maybe I should say it this way. Every morning when I get up, I have a routine. Right. I, I floss my teeth. I brush my teeth. I, I wash my face. I... You know, I, I take my shower, I put on my deodorant, I comb my hair. I mean, it's a, it's a sustainable model that gets replicated day in and day out. There might be a day or two when, you know, it's a, it's a holiday and I, I vary the schedule some, right. but I have a very uh, intentional hygiene that takes care of my, my physical body. And the goal is, I don't want to have bed breath. I don't want to have body odor that offends people when I'm around them. You know, I, I, I comb my hair and I try and look right. Well, in the same way, there's spiritual hygiene that we take care of our life. So, you know, when was the last time you, you brushed your spiritual mouth and you watched 
negativity and you watched you know words that's great that came out of your mouth and you go oh I, no i hadn't thought about that maybe you ought to think about it because words matter mm-hmm. words are powerful and one of the things that god does when when he begins to work in our life is he he he, he gives us spiritual mouthwash and he gives us a toothbrush and toothpaste to clean up the internal thinking processes of our life and it, you can't go week on end weeks on end not brushing your teeth not not providing dental hygiene and expect your breath to be sweet and acceptable our our breath before god is the sacrifices of a clean and a contrite heart mm-hmm. And uh, that takes spiritual hygiene. It, it takes a, a work. I had a young guy, I was ministering at a church a few months back, and I was talking on the subject of hearing God. And, uh, and I, was, I talked about the process and what a benefit it is that when God, when we realize that the creator of the universe will actually <laughs> speak to us. Yeah. I mean, one word from God will change everything right. in your life. So after after the service, the guy came up to me and said, yeah, um, so I really liked your message today, but can you help me? He said, I don't feel like I hear God, like you were describing. And I thought for a minute. And so I said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, okay. And I said, tell me about your quiet time. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, you know, uh, pre-COVID, it was pretty consistent. But since then, I'm really inconsistent. And I said, well, um, I said, let me give you an an example. In the day before cell phones, when we actually had phone company that strung wire to your house and, you know, it, it was, that's the way you connected. I said, I heard this statement that, uh, talking to God is like working for the phone company. Some days you dig holes. Some days you plant poles. Some days you string wire. But some days you connect. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, you see, if, if you are inconsistent in spending any time with God, you're, it's like you're, you're working for the phone company, but you, you dig a hole, and then three or four or five days later, you plant a pole. Wow. And then three or four or five days later, you string some wire. Whoa. You know, and, and I said, no wonder you don't hear from him in two or three weeks. Because the inconsistency of your effort, right. it's not God. So great. God wants to connect. It's, it's the inconsistency of your effort. And so you need to develop the spiritual hygiene that includes spiritual disciplines mm-hmm. in order to be able to connect with God. And if, if consistency is the model that is necessary for finishing the race, well, then we need to be consistent in our spiritual hygiene. So great. And not expect that we can, we can neglect it and think that the aroma that our life produces for God is going to be sweet smelling and acceptable. He's, it's not that he doesn't love us, but if we don't work at our spiritual hygiene, he does the same thing that wow. people would do. He closes his nose to the aroma of our life. 
I can't show up to a spiritual race with bad spiritual hygiene. <laughs> That's exactly Inconsistent right. spiritual practices. The picture, though, that I got of working for the phone company, that's, I, I will use that as I talk to people about when they experience difficulty hearing God. It, it is a relational practice. Exactly. But if I dig a hole and then I don't put a pole in that hole in order to run the wire and a storm comes, it washes dirt into the hole. I got to go back. You got to start all over. Again. I got to start all over and dig that hole again before I can put the telephone pole in there. That to me, uh, what a picture of just Preston. It, it's, I think the enemy tries to get us to minimize small steps. Yep. But a, a gathering or a group of small steps always leads great distances. And so if we're talking about hearing God's voice, daily steps, even if it's just five minutes, daily steps. Yep. You, you mentioned meeting me at McDonald's. And that's been a, a routine of my life for now almost uh, 50 years, 46 years, something like that. And uh, it started because I wanted to have a consistent quiet time. But what I found is I couldn't, I couldn't get up and go in the living room so if I sat in a nice comfy chair, <laughs> you know, I was asleep and not very long. And, and, uh, and then I'd wake the family up in the house. So I had to get out of the house, go to a, a completely separate place, take my Bible and a journal at the time and have, have meet with God in a, in a private moment. McDonald's happened to be the place because it was the only place you could any, about anywhere in the world. You can find a McDonald's. Right. I've right. been in McDonald's in Greece and, <laughs> yep. you know, in We've Italy. We've traveled and, together yeah. and I'd say, which McDonald's are you going to? Because <laughs> I haven't seen you in a couple yeah. months and I'm coming to that McDonald's. It, it, so whether That's it's great. local, national or international, you know, what you need is you need a specified time, a specified place in order to be able to spend time with God. And, and then you, you I, I, the reason I like that analogy is there's a certain kind of consistency of work that says God will meet you. You will connect. But many days I read my Bible, I write in my journal. And if you said, Hey Tom, how was your quiet time today? I mean, did heaven just rain right. down right. on me? It's like, not so much. You yeah. know, I, it was good. I feel like I got some things from the word. I, I, I prayed for some things that were burdens on my heart, but you know, but then there's those days when sort of almost by accident, I'm writing in my journal and the Holy Spirit just prompts something in my heart. Says, hey, hey, I, I want to I tell you something. And I, I remember that day. I, I've told this story before, but I remember the day I was writing my journal and I just paused a minute. And I said, Lord, do you want to say anything to me? Mm. Now, Maybe a week or ten days before that, our uh, our oldest daughter Lisa was in her freshman year at college, and we had gone to visit her, and she introduced us to a guy that she was dating, and he was not the guy that I had prayed for for my little girl all these years, and I thought, what what am I gonna, how am I gonna tell her, no, no, you if I. If I push too hard, I'm going to drive her into his arms. And, and uh, so 
we were back home. I was in my normal routine. And I said, God, is there anything you want to say to me? And I felt like the Lord said, yeah. Tell Lisa, if she won't compromise, I'm preparing the husband of her dreams. Well, Lord, it's not this guy. It can't be this guy. He's, <laughs> and that's all he said. Mm. And I, I wrote it in my journal. So I don't know if it was that day or the next day. I'm talking to Lisa, and I said, hey, Lisa, I was praying for you, and I feel like the Lord spoke to me. And she said, really, Dad? What did he say? And I said, he said that if you will not compromise, that he's preparing the husband of your dreams. Talk about one word from God changes everything. So that's all I said, though I wanted to say a lot more. Uh, and um, within a week or two, they had broken up. Mm. Uh, at the end of that year, she transferred schools. She was at the University of Nebraska. She transferred to Waco, to Baylor. And she finished, finished out her, her college experience there uh, at Baylor. And every once in a while, she'd say to me, Dad, remind me what God said. Mm. And there were times when I just repeated it. There were times when I actually took her to my journal. And I said, here it is right here, Lisa. Here's what God wow. said, and I wrote. Now, I tell you, if you get just a few of those, that's worth all the time you spend digging holes and planting Ooh. poles and stringing wire. And that's what happens. Goodness. I mean, you're, you're talking about essential practices in the early days that help lay the foundation mm -hmm. for the entire race to be run well. You know, and, and once something becomes routine, it gets easier yep. for it. it just, it, it's just normal. It, it just McDonald's. You went to McDonald's so many times. You got some card that was like, a, you're like a <laughs> lifetime. What was that? Uh, they, I was sitting in my booth at McDonald's one day and they come out with a Polaroid camera and they said, can we, can we take your picture? And I said, okay, what's it for? You know, and they took the picture and they said, well, uh, you've been selected as the customer of the month. And Todd was in college at the time. And so um, he's home a few days after. So my picture is posted up there with the, you know, employee of the, of the month, employee of the year, drive-through customer of the month, customer of the month. <laughs> there I am. <laughs> So we go, we go to, up to the counter to order our food and uh, Todd's looking around and he looks over and there's, here's all the pictures. And he, he stares and he said, dad, is that your picture? I said, yeah, it is. I'm customer of the month. And uh, but customer of the month get, got one free meal a day <laughs> for the whole month. Isn't that great? <laughs> but I mean, it was something that was so consistent. Yep. That even people who didn't know what you were fully doing while you were there, they recognized the consistency, yeah. the strength of your consistency. And I think about it from the Lord's perspective. While McDonald's was saying, this is the customer of our month, the Lord looking at it going, this is the son of my dreams. This, this consistent walking with me yes. ensures to the best of a human's ability. And I know we're not perfect and we live in a fallen world, but the more consistent we are with the Lord, the easier it is to remain in step with him every lap of the race. Exactly. So you're talking about things that are essential to, to build the foundation, to run the race well. And you can't finish well if you don't run the race well. So now let's move to the middle of the race. Uh, you touched a little bit on some of the low points, um, but as you move to the middle of the race, you have 
uh, most likely for most of us, we have a little more authority at this stage of life, uh, more responsibility, um, the ability to execute more than we did when we were young, you yep. know, um, more success typically. And so the, the dynamic of the middle of the race is very different than the dynamic at the beginning of the race. So what, what does navigating the, the middle of the race in order to continue on the path to finish well, what does that look like? Yeah, I think the, the danger of the middle of the race is um, boring. The, the mm. routine of life. Uh, I've done this over and over and over and over and over and over. And uh, even I think about, we, we used to use this term, I don't know if it's still valid today, but a midlife crisis. And, you know, if 70 is the, the age of life, well, then 35 would be midlife. And I don't, I think I had my first midlife crisis about 30, and I had multiple ones after that. And I define the midlife crisis as a, a, an assessment of where you are compared to where you thought you would be hmm. and the disappointment in the delta between those two. Wow. And, and, uh, I think that everybody, uh, to a certain degree, has some that, that we have to make midlife adjustments, middle of the, great. the pack adjustments. And I was thinking about this, Preston. I know you uh, are a pilot, or at least your your brothers are yeah, pilot. I'm, you know, I got my license. And uh, I I know so uh, I I use this term. Uh, Get, get your instrument rating, your spiritual instrument rating. Hmm. And, and by that, what I mean is, if you're a pilot and you're instrument rated, means you can fly in inclement weather. Mm -hmm. You can fly when the clouds are socked in and you can't see right. what, what's you going on. You fly when you can't see. You are simply flying by the instruments. Well, from a spiritual perspective, we have instruments. We, we have God's word to guide and direct us. But when... When we're in the middle of life events and, and it feels like everything's socked in, I can't, I can't see w w the end of my race. I don't right. exactly know. This isn't what I expected. And it's easy to get spiritual vertigo. You don't know where, whether you're up or down or whether you're going to fly the thing into the ground or into a mountain. Or, and you, you need, at that point, you need to be able to, understand and trust your instruments uh you know so what's what's the what's the instrument of your faith saying today what's the what's the instrument of god's word and the the processes uh, of his word what what are they saying to you are you are you uh navigating your life based on god's direction or based on the influence of others that isn't around that that aren't considering him and his work, mm -hmm. and uh, if you go, uh, you know, it feels this feels right. There's many a pilot that have felt it was right, right, and flown into a mountain or yeah, in, into the or ground. into a spiral. Yep, yep. So you need to get your instrument ready, and and I say that because. I, I'm not a pilot. I didn't, I started, did my ground school, but I decided, you know, this is going to be really expensive. So I didn't do the in, in flight stuff uh, because I was thinking, 
I'm I'm going to need multi-engine rating. That I'm going to need instrument rating. <laughs> that I'm, it. you know, so I, I I can't see this to the end. So I I stopped. Why well, I, I stopped because one day I'm at lunch with my best friend and my wife, and and his wife, and we're talking about things. And I was excited about my my pilot's training that I was going to. And he said, just as a matter of fact, he said, well, I'm not flying with you. I said, what? He said, oh, no, you. You've almost killed me in your car. You threw me out of your boat. You're not going to kill me in a plane. And he said that. And Jan said, well, I'm not fine with you either. What? What? So uh, that was another motivator for, <laughs> for not, not finishing. But the, uh, the analogy is valid. And yeah. that is, it takes a lot of work. That's part of what I was feeling. It takes a lot of work to get your instrument rating. And you, you have to pass tests. And, you know, you have to invest yourself in time and money in order to get it. But once you get it, you won't be stuck on the ground because of flying conditions. Yeah. You can fly and you'll, you'll navigate safely. And so uh, when other people are struggling with offense or bitterness or, you know, some, some issue, not knowing what the Bible says, how they should react, if you've got your instrument rating, you have all the instruments at your disposal to know exactly how you navigate it's the great. situation. When I think about the differences between the beginning of the race and kind of the middle of the race, I my mind goes to at the beginning of the race, we have the vigor. <laughs> you know, we've, we've got the gusto. We've got the energy. Uh, we've got that drive. We get to the middle of the race. Uh, you use the word boring. We may not have as much vigor as we did when we started, but one thing we have probably more of than we did in the beginning is more strength. So we had more vigor in the beginning. Now we have more stamina and strength. And the question becomes, what do we do with this in the season? What I hear you saying is, okay, there are practices, Preston, that you need to make sure help you establish, lay out the foundation for a godly life. Check. Then we get to now I've, I'm more strengthened than I've ever been. What, what do I do with this strength? What do I build? And I hear you saying now, instead of just flying the plane, we start to add components to the airplane of your life that will help you navigate more difficult things, right. you know, more complicated things, yep. uh, more frightening things. That's a whole different conversation compared to what are the entry-level foundational things I need to put in my life? That's great, okay? Make sure the plane can fly, check. Then we get to the middle and we go, oh, so one of the things I've learned from the beginning to now is you have to run in storms. And only a fool prepares for perfect weather. And so I need to outfit the airplane of my life with the things that will divinely enable me and prepare me to navigate those storms exactly right. because I'm still, I'm not supposed to stop. The storm is a part of the journey. I've got to be able to fly through it. And so what do I need? And, and I, the picture I get is you morning after morning fighting through those mornings where maybe it didn't feel like heaven opened up over you, but you still churn through your time with the Lord. You still churn mm -hmm. through scripture. You still churn through journaling even though it didn't seem like it was it was producing this dramatic and divine result but what yeah. you were doing was you were beneath the dash of the plane attaching wires 
to the instrument panel in such a way yep. that as the storms come, this thing's solid as a rock yep. and I don't even bat an eye. I can just keep going on the path God has me on no matter how bad the storm gets, whether it's 2008, whether it's COVID, go down the list, whether it's a bankruptcy. Yep. The plane has got to Henry Cloud. Uh, Henry says the definition of integrity, uh, you know, we think about purity of heart and things, but integrity is the ability to withstand. Mm. It is the integrity of the airplane yep. such that it can successfully navigate life's most difficult storms. Exactly. And that, that I just have this picture of you away from everyone else, just you and the Lord um, beneath the dash of the plane yep. connecting these wires yep. for what is to come. And you, you know, just to carry on the, the flying analogy, uh, before you fly, you do a visual check of yep. the plane -flight. Yep. and and you you check out make sure that the the plane is flight worthy and what what you're doing in this middle uh, part of the race is you're taking advantage of the the preparation work that you've already done to say it's great uh, it's i've got a a flyable navigatable i can count on this a, yep yeah yeah so uh, this these things maybe are not that um you know, it's like, ooh, this this just feels good, Tom. Like, I really want to do this. Uh, part of finishing strong. So, you know, having been, uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm a Christian now since from 16 to 71. So, 50, 55 five years, and uh, in those 55 years, I've seen people who really started out uh, with a passionate blaze. I mean, they were going to save the nation or save the city, or they were going to do some great things. And uh, within a matter of years, they were gone. They're nowhere to be found. And um, the steady and slow win the race. This is so you right now. <laughs> this is so you. I mean, it's not that you couldn't sprint. I've just seen you be more faithful with the things that most people would say, well, that's not very sexy. Right. Yeah. And, and if, if, you know, the beautiful and the, the public stuff is what you're looking for, you're probably not going to run a very good race. You're going to look for shortcuts. You're going to be obsessed with the trophies, but it is the people off the radar who are consistently step by step by step who end up outpacing everyone in the race. And to me, that's the definition of a life well lived. Yeah. It's not just accomplishing more than everyone else. How did I navigate? How, did I navigate my life in such a way where one of the adjectives that God might use to describe me would be faithful? Yeah. Tom, you were, you were consistently faithful. That sounds like a man God can trust, a woman God can trust. Exactly. And what Scripture says, if you're faithful in little, yeah. you'll be faithful in much. So, you know, whatever you're thinking about, well, I would do better if I had, if, if, this was along the way. No, if if you don't, if you're not faithful in the finances you have today, so great. Double your finances, you're not going to be faithful. So and, great. And, you know, if you're if you're not faithful in the relationship you have today, you know, if you say, well, if she would be better, if he would be better, if this, uh, you know, I would, it'd be better. No, you, you be faithful today in the little things, because as if. God were to bless you, 
and give you the, the desire of your heart, uh, will you be faithful in the much of it? And the answer is no, not if you're faithful in little. One of my, one of my favorite verses, uh, Preston, is a verse in Proverbs that, that says, uh, the slothful man doesn't roast his prey. But the precious possession of a man is diligence. When I was reading Proverbs one day, read this verse, and I thought, what does that mean? The slothful man doesn't roast his prey, but the precious. So diligence was connected with roasting his prey. And as I thought about it, I thought, okay, this was written in a day when uh, you, you couldn't go down to the local grocery store and get your food. You woke up that day thinking, eh, what am I hungry for today? And, you know, do I want possum? Do I want squirrel? Do I, you know, uh, what do I want? And then you had to go hunt it. And maybe it took you all day. Right. And by the time you actually killed the thing, it, it was, you were, you were famished. And so you field dressed it and then just started eating rather than taking it home. There's a process of steps that needed to be followed diligently to get to the end result of eating your dinner. How often is it that we cut, make shortcuts and we, we, we go to the, want the end result. You know, I want that accolade. I want that position. I want that something. And we don't follow the steps uh, to get it. And God says the precious possession of a man is diligence. Don't cut the steps. That's, it's so great. I mean, I just have this picture of, of a younger Tom saying, Lord, I, I want to be entrusted with helping to steward a move of God and the Lord, because that's what you, you have. You were a major part of stewarding, in my opinion, a legitimate move of God on the earth. And I just see the young Tom saying it to the Lord and the Lord saying, well, then a man who wants to be entrusted stewarding move of God must be a man who daily walks with God. Yes. And I just see a younger Tom just every day waking up and saying, today I walk with God. I take another step with God. And then it's no surprise that in the middle of your race, God said, now I can't entrust anyone else with this part of my bride. But I have watched you, Tom, for years be a faithful man while no one was watching you faithfully pursued me and walked with me. And one of the reasons I want you to know I can trust you to steward my move is because I watched your every move as you tried to move and step with me every day. It yeah. doesn't just happen. Yeah, it's, it's true. Well, I, I would say this, I try and say this when I'm, when I'm talking to men about their responsibility to lead, that uh, le leading begins at home with the little things of, of life. You say, well, if I ever get to be a leader, you know, get appointed into a leadership position, then I'll lead. No, no, you, you, you start. So I'd, I attempted in our home to manage the things of our home with diligence and faithfulness and excellence uh, so that I could model that for my kids. And, and when, my kids started wanting things, uh, I would input to them and say, look, uh, God entrusts us with things. Uh, even if I were to go out and buy it for you, it's money that God has given to me. 
and God entrusts things to good stewards. You're not a good steward. Mm. And so I, I can't, I can't wow. give you more if, you, if yep. you're going to continue to, or I would remind them, hey, how are you taking care of your car? Are you washing it? Are you, are you cleaning out the inside? Because that's God's car that you're, you just happen to be driving. And if you're not taking care of it, he's not going to give you more. So the, it, these little opportunities that we have to live and reflect uh, faithfulness in our own life produce the, the, you're not going to get to the end of your race and say, okay, now I'm ready to be faithful. Right. Now I'm ready to be diligent. You, you, you learn and you ingrain the process into your life through every season of your life, even in the difficult ones. So you get to where you find yourself now, uh, entering into the season where um, finishing well, not being finished. Uh, I know you well enough to know that is not <laughs> your, your focus, being finished. But running this portion of the race yep. as well or even better than you've run the previous laps of your race. When you think about, um, because I, I know you well enough to know, um, you are endeavoring to be a man whom God blesses at all times and all things. And as you navigate this season of life, what do you think, and I know you're learning it real time, what do you think is required at this stage of life to be a man or woman God supernaturally blesses to continue to do things at this stage that maybe they weren't even granted access to at a younger age, even at their prime or pinnacle, whatever people, vernacular people want to use. Yeah. What are the components of a life which God can not just continue to bless, but possibly bless even more in this stage of your life than in any season prior to? Yeah, so... Uh, I think for the purpose of this conversation, it's beneficial to say I'm 71. And uh, what I've noticed uh, as I've gotten older, I noticed this in my dad. My dad uh, passed away at 62, but I remember thinking when he turned 60, he sort of lost a filter on his life. Mm. It's, it's like he, he had this saying, I don't care if it hair lips the governor, you know, and he would he just would say what he felt and right. you know didn't matter if it was offensive or not and there there is a temptation i think when you get older to say i don't have to take right i've earned the right I, i've earned the right to say whatever i want right. i don't have to take this off of anybody and uh i think that in in this season so what i what i call this season of my life i'm in the heritage season of mm. my life mm. I've I've invested I've 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 invested in my children and I'm seeing the fruit of it in their children. There's an inheritance that is is already being lived out in my family. But more than an, an inheritance is a heritage, mm. and I get to uh, uh, if I if I finish my race strong. Part of what I'm I'm developing and managing is the heritage of my life. And uh, I can't think of any greater thrill or uh, blessing 
than for God to say, I'm going to extend. So, you know, uh, I think it's Psalms that says, uh, life consists of 70 years or by reason of strength, 80. Well, as I got it into my <laughs> upper 60s, I'm thinking, okay, um, the, the window <laughs> is, is slowing down here, but I, I have good strength. I have yeah. health uh, and vitality. And I think God is giving me additional years. And I believe the additional years are for the development and management of the heritage mm. of our family. I want to I want to not only pass on an inheritance, I want to pass on a heritage that is a part of it. And so what that, what that means is no coasting. Mm. No, it, my, my work may change a little bit in terms of what, how I do work. You know, I'm not playing basketball like I did in my yeah. 30s and 40s, but uh, it doesn't mean that I can't enjoy the work. I, I might, instead of playing, I might coach. You know what I'm yep. saying? Yeah. Uh, I have a voice into things that I may not be able to do, but I, what I'm not going to do is sit up in the stands and then complain because there's nothing for me to do. There's all kinds of things for me Love to it. do and prepare uh, the, the heritage that I want to see the Lane family enjoy. I love it. So what, what are some of the differences in this season? You know, it, it's, it's a different type of stewardship. So practically speaking, what does that look like in this season when you are managing and, and endeavoring to steward the heritage and build it out? What does that look like compared to the middle of the race? How's it different? Yeah, I, I think in the middle of the race, I was running the race. I was, I was, uh, I was building things that were being reflected out of my life. Um, now, what I feel is I get to coach, I get to mentor, I get to uh, even. I noticed this in my father-in-law. Um, he, I, I thought about this. So as he got older, he, he, was, he was such a productive man, owned his own business. He was the chairman of the elders. He loved ministry and ministered. And when he got older, he, he, he reflected an attitude that sort of was like, there's nothing for me to do now. You know, I'm sort of irrelevant. And I, I kept saying to him, no, 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 you're yeah. not irrelevant. Yeah. You're even more relevant. Right. The, the power of your experience and the, the and your prayers mean more than probably doing the thing that you did right. a few years ago. And that's sort of the way I feel for myself is it's a reorienting of what's important, uh, uh, the importance of your contribution. You can look at it and say, well, I, I don't have anything to contribute. These young kids, they're, they're taking it all away. Uh, I, what I feel is uh, what I have to offer, what I impart is every bit as important. It's just different. And so I'm celebrating now my my children my sons my daughters they're they're in the productive seasons of their life and they're producing amazingly and i i get to coach into that i get to pray into that i i get to um so i get to watch and observe and if there's things that I don't understand, because each generation has nuances, uh, 
and they cause me concern. Well, I, I can raise my hand. Sometimes I'm not called on <laughs> and, uh, and I can pray. Mm. And, uh, I'm learning, uh, that part of the, the building and the imparting of a heritage has to do with the, the unseen things of spiritual investment that come as a part of this season. So I can't, I can't coast. Yeah. I, I, there's nothing wrong. I, Nothing wrong with guys who play golf two or three times a week, uh, as long as that's not the only thing you do. Mm. You know, if you're in a heritage season of life, then what you need to do is you you need to you need to work strong. You need to realize you're not done until your last last breath. You have more things to impart, and I think it, it maybe it was mentioned earlier, but sometimes when I talk to people. And I'm telling about my story because I, I was multi-generationally blessed. My, my grandparents were, were believers and they impacted my parents. My parents impacted me and I've impacted my children. And, uh, and the reality is each generation gets sweeter mm. and sweeter when you're following in the stream of what God has. Love it. And so I'm not ready to give yeah. up. I mean, when I think about you and, and the season that you're in, you know, the way you described it, when I was in the middle of the race, I was building the building, so yep. to speak, uh, which is important and it's significant. Um, but in this season, you're building the builders mm -hmm. who are carrying the blueprint for building. Yep. Um, and, and not just because I think in the middle of the race, we, depending on our wiring, we can be building some of the people who are building, I mean, you know, yep. we have examples of that in, in our circle, but there's something about being able to build the builders carrying the blueprint. And that's something I've seen you. One of the things I respect the most out of you is you don't demand an audience, you command it. Mm. And there's a huge difference. I'm, I mean, you, you, to your point, you, someone can get to this stage of life and just say, you, you should want to sit with me. You should, you know, Let's get together, you know, as opposed to you've lived your life and are living your life in such a way where you command an audience. You, you don't even need to demand it. Mm. Faithfulness over time is such a powerful thing. And I, you're still building me. You know, the other night when I was at the event, I mean, I was sitting there listening to you and it, it was you know, there are plenty of these moments with you, but I was sitting there watching you and watching the Lord pour the oil of heaven over you in a new endeavor. Yeah. And I, I was just thanking the Lord and I, I had a, a young guy with me on my staff and I, I was just, he was sitting in front of me in line of sight to you. And I said to the Lord, you clearly love this kid mm. because you're letting him get in on a holy moment like this. And when people see someone like you in the midst of a moment like that, you don't have to demand. And I, I just, I want to encourage everybody in this season of life who is watching this. So true. Do not, you know, we talk about despise not small beginnings, but also don't despise the latter years of the race. Because if, if you continue to faithfully walk with the Lord, and 
to the best of your ability, obediently walk out everything he asks of you. There, there are plenty of holy moments ahead that people like me, I learned more the other night watching you steward a completely new room. I mean, you, you've accomplished so many things in your life and, and in work. And here you are doing something completely new. Yes. And I'm getting to still learn because the, the guy who's one of the guys who's building me up more than anyone says, yes, I'm going to build the builders, but I'm also not done building. And so by faith, and going back to what you said at the beginning, I'm going to keep walking by faith. I'm not just going to assume I know. And so I'm going to tackle this new thing. And I'm telling you, at 71 years old, the example you are setting is absolutely, it's, it's amazing and it's breathtaking to me because it helps me to say, as long as God puts oxygen in my lungs, I've got to keep building the family business. Yes. And I know you're talking about you know, yes. the family heritage, but it's also our spiritual family. Yes, it, absolutely. The expansion of the kingdom of God while we have breath in our lungs and time on this earth. And so I just love watching you uh, put on a clinic, and I, I just say it without flattery, <laughs> to literally put on a clinic. I mean, Tom, it, it, you know, Todd was there, and, and he taught, and he, there was so much meat in what Todd shared. And, and I even said this to Todd, but something so significantly supernatural happened as you started talking. Mm -hmm. And I, I know the look, I know the moment. And I, I just sat there and I was thinking, Lord, as I approach my 70s, and I'm more than halfway there, well over halfway, that's what I want. I still want to be able to walk into a room where you step into and divinely enable me to do something no one else in the room can do. And I, I watched it. I mean, this is not some theory you have. This is your life. And I, I just, I've watched you from behind the scenes. That did not come freely or cheaply. You have paid so many prices time and time again. And I just want to acknowledge I'm grateful for every sacrifice you've made. I don't care if I'm a snotty mess right now. <laughs> I'm still learning from you. And, you know, there's, there were seasons where you would teach me verbally, but I was reminded how much I enjoy teaching by watching. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just telling you, for those of you who are in a similar stage of life, this is not the time for shortcuts. And I'm not trying to wear, weigh you down by saying, we need more, we need more. Listen, you have the ability, because of hindsight and everything you've learned along the road with every lap, you have the ability to run the race more shrewdly than me mm. because you, you've got 20 plus more years of running that I don't yet have. And this is not the time for shortcuts. It, it would be an easy time to convince yourself it's time for a shortcut. But I'm telling you, I'm watching someone who's literally seeing a fresh anointing from God to do something five years ago or 10 years ago you may not have thought. <laughs> Never was on my radar. You would be doing, but you were always on God's radar. And what you're doing now was always in God's plans. Yes. And what's amazing about you, no matter the turns your race has taken, whether they were expected or unexpected, you still faithfully run the race. You never chucked the deuces. You never bounced. You never got distracted. More than I think anyone in my life, you just kept running. 
And I think one of the things I'm most excited to watch in this season of your life is God's response to decades of faithfulness. Mm. And I, I pray to God that I am able to be anywhere near that place by the time I arrive at this part of the race. Uh, you, you are my hero. And I, I, you know I don't just say that. Yeah. Uh, well, I can tell you from my vantage point, you know, one of the things I do, I've done, is I've measured my pace in my race to my son's pace, my kid's pace. And, and it gives me such great joy to say, you're, you're further on the course than I was at your age. So that tells me, if you don't, if, if you don't veer off the course, you're going to be further by the time you get to my age. And I feel that same thing for you, Press. You're, you're further than where I was at your age, and you're running a great race. And if you don't veer from the race, you'll surpass where I am today. Well, that means a lot. But I say right, right back at you <laughs> this. You're somewhere I dream of being. Thank you. And I'm, I'm grateful uh, that, that if I am running any faster, which I don't think I am, you're somewhere I want to be, and I'm still at 45, patterning some of my steps after yours. <laughs> and so I, I would love it if you would pray, um, because I'm convinced men and women who have a makeup like yours and a faithfulness like yours, um, there is something supernaturally powerful and unique in their prayers. So would you just pray yep. over all of us as we wrap up our time? Yeah, I'd be glad to. I want to say one thing, if, if there's in you, as you've listened to this, you feel like um, I, I've, I'm way behind in my race. Uh, no, you can start your race today, and God will enable you to get where you want to go. It, it's just a matter of commitment of heart. And so commit yourself to God and do what he says, and no matter where you are, he'll make sure that you finish the race strong. So let me pray. Lord, thank you for our friends that are watching today. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the, the personalization of the, the information that we've discussed into every heart. Lord, would you just open up our, uh, our, our spirit, our mind, our heart to understand the things that you're saying. And wherever we are in the race, just beginning in the m middle of the course or in the, uh, the heritage season of our life, God, would you... Would you lead us? Would you challenge us and enable us, every one of us, to finish our race strong? Lord, we'll give you praise and thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. May we all turn out to be a little bit more like Jesus and Tom Lane. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking as we pray. I hope, uh, because I know you're seeing more than, than just the dispensation of information. Um, you're seeing part of my world. Uh, that I love so much because I love the people in my world. And my prayer in part isn't that you would just watch this and go, man, I, I want that. I, I want to have somebody like that in my life. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. Here's what I would say. It's all around you. It's all around you. Sometimes the enemy just blinds our eyes to the wisdom that is within, within arm's reach of us. And so we, we just... 
maybe, and, and I'm not saying this is everybody, but maybe you saw that our guest today, without even knowing who it was, you're like, oh, Preston's got somebody older. And you're like, ah, listen to me. I hope the young me is reminded today. These are some of the most powerful moments you will experience in your life. And you need to chase after them. If I was you, whatever church you're in during the meet and greet, I would literally borderline go attack people in this stage of the race. Because I'm telling you, some of the most special moments you will ever get to experience happen at coffee or in our case, McDonald's <laughs> over a Diet Coke and a breakfast sandwich. Orange juice for me. I'm telling you, I treasure these holy moments. But you have to go chase them. You have to mine the gold. It doesn't just fall in your lap. It's true. I invited myself into his presence <laughs> <laughs> unapologetically. And years and years later, I'm, I'm still benefiting from the richness of the gift that is Tom Lane. So I know God spoke to you. There's so much wisdom in this. I want you to know I love you so, so much. And one of my favorite things to do is get to sit down with you. But even more than that, one of my favorite things is getting to bring the people I love that I esteem so highly to get to sit down with you and impart to you, speak into your life. So I hope you enjoyed this time. I can't wait to see you next week. Love you.